0: Howdy, Thunkers. This is the host of the Huda Thunket podcast, Zeb, coming at you with episode 137, Sports and Human History. Um, sounds like a pretty boring story or title compared to some of the other titles I've had, but I, it, it, it's the history of sports, basically. First, let's get into the recommendation segment has nothing to do with the main event here. Just want to recommend you check something out. This week, I recommend you watch the new and popular movie Slumberland on Netflix, starring Jason Momoa. A young girl discovers a secret map to the dream world of Slumberland. And with the help of an eccentric outlaw, she traverses dreams and flees nightmares with the hope that she will be able to see her late father again. I I liked it. I gave it a solid 8 out of 10. Shannon gave it an 8.5 out of 10. The critics gave it horrible reviews, though. Three out of ten. But I say you ignore them. My biggest critique was that it came off as a little hokey at times, but in a fun way. And some of the acting seemed a bit forced. You know, it wasn't the best acting. Mainly the actress that plays Nemo, the main character. But she's a kid. You know, this is a kid movie. It's rated PG. And, you know, kids' movies don't always have the best acting. Because they're kids. <laughs> I'd rather have a kid be not the greatest actor, but live a, a healthy, normal Life, Um, so yeah, it's okay. It's very forgivable. It was a feel-good movie with uh, cool uh, special effects, interesting concepts, and Jason Momoa's undeniable charisma and zaniness. Like he's really funny. He he's very animated. I know Jason Momoa is known as an action guy, but his comedic timing was great. I also think he does really well with kids and child concepts. So I thought it was a fun movie. Check it out. Uh, (laughs) The Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, the critics score is 37 percent. the audience score is 88 so it's one of those divisive ones um where the critics disagree with the the masses well which one are you are you a um are you a snooty film critic that likes to pick apart everything basically degrading your ability to enjoy a movie or are you a regular audience goer Uh, a film a movie enjoyer um, I've I found that I've watched a lot of videos on how to critique movies and review movies, and what I've found is when you go down that path, you start to ruin movies for yourself. Just enjoy it. Did you enjoy it? Don't think, don't, don't have a mental checklist of, oh okay this is hokey i've seen this concept before oh i've you know this is a a, something that filmmakers have been doing forever or oh this is obviously a rookie mistake no did you enjoy the movie try to immerse yourself in it and and get lost in it and and it seems like there's a divide here of what critics think an audience do but check it out slumberland jason momoa netflix it's all you need to know you'll you'll find it it's really good now for the main event I like sports. Hell, I even love sports. I don't memorize stats or even watch professional sports on a consistent basis. Uh, But I do have a deep appreciation for each game, for the love of the game. Over the years, I've heard tidbits of stories surrounding the history and origin of certain sports. So I decided to dig in uh, to that a little deeper and make a podcast episode about it. I wanted to give an intro speech as to why sports matter, but I couldn't find the best words. So I googled it. I found an inspirational webpage on the topic from an unlikely and wholesome source, a dinky website that's kind of like a broken website, it looks really old, uh, not the most uh, web savvy people, but call uh, the website's called ontariofootballcheer.org, footballandcheer.org. It's a football and cheer league club for kids and it's a very unlikely and wholesome source that I found here. The person that wrote this, they get it. They get why sports matter. And they wrote it here if there is a better place than sports to teach kids how to be courageous, determined, persistent, and patient, studies don't show it. Sports can teach kids to lead, to follow, to take responsibility, working with others, sportsmanship, and so much more. Every athlete, regardless of ability, has the opportunity to learn lifelong skills through sports, and every athlete deserves deserves the opportunity to do so. Sports matter because they can give a voice to the voiceless. Sports matter because to our culture but sadly the entertainment value has begun to outweigh the educational value of sports and it has trickled down to the youth level yet they could or yet they could be so much more than that sports matter because they can change lives sports matter because they might be the one positive in an otherwise crappy life for a kid sports matter because they can provide a child with a positive influential role model in a life that may not have one sports matter because they reveal and develop character sports matter because they might keep a kid on the straight and narrow when other influences are leading them or him or her down a far darker path sports matter for every kid from the star quarterback to the kid who can barely run 10 yards without getting winded but still has the courage to be in the arena, daring greatly. Sports matter for every community that needs something to rally around, for everyone who wants a stronger, healthier nation. It's high time every one of us takes a stand and commits to doing them the right way. I just thought that was cool. It's a very uh, heartfelt way of looking at it. Sports matter. And for this episode, what I'll be doing is looking into three different sports, the origins of them, the history of them, you know, how they've sort of shaped our world, um and those three sports will be baseball basketball and hockey i didn't get to all the sports on this because it'd be way too long of an episode first let's get into baseball i do have a series of pictures on here pretty awesome going all the way back from like the earliest depictions of baseball um to (laughs) a dude without a mitt trying to catch a baseball (laughs) Uh, a baseball diamond that looks really small babe ruth i got a picture of the uh (laughs) 10 cent beer night from the Cleveland Indians that that that, uh, former episode podcast or podcast episode topic. Now, baseball is the most popular story about the the most popular story about the origin of baseball is that a guy named Abner Doubleday invented it in the summer of 1839 and later went on to be a Civil War hero. But that story isn't true. (laughs) Even Abner himself used to tell people that he had nothing to do with the game's conception. (laughs) Let's take a moment to appreciate that old timey name, Abner. Abner. Abner Doubleday. One of the coolest names I've ever heard. Abner Doubleday. (laughs) That name's got character. And before I reveal the actual origins of baseball, can you think of any existing sport that closely resembles baseball? You got sticks, you got bases. You got people running around bases. You got a pitcher. So, what what can you think of? I thought of one, and as I started reading into my sources, I found my suspicions were correct. Take a moment. See if you can think of anything, any sport that might closest resembles baseball. I'll give you a couple seconds of silence. All right. If you haven't thought of it, you probably won't. Baseball is referenced in historic documents in America way back in the 1700s, way before 1839 when they say Abner Doubleday created it. A child's game known as Rounders was brought to New England from from old England and played by kids in the Americas during some of the first colonies established there. Rounders was combined with the English game of cricket to make the modern sport of baseball. Cricket is the sport I was talking about. I don't understand cricket at all. One, one time, my buddy uh, Panda, what we it was his nickname in college, we were just chilling in our room with roommates, and he's like flipping through the channels. He comes across cricket, and he's like, "Let's just try to watch this." And like we weren't drinking, we were just you know chilling, and I was like, "Let's try to understand." I think we got like two hours into it had no idea what was happening the rule the rule, trying to learn a new sport is daunting and if you're someone who's a big sports person you're like i don't get why my girlfriend doesn't like it or why some of my friends don't like it try to try to learn a new sport like a sport you've never really looked at at all and try to learn it from watching one game and you'll realize you put your that put yourself in their shoes it's it's so confusing i still enjoyed it me and panda love watching cricket but it is confusing When the American Revolutionary War kicked off, the game of baseball, or many variations of it, were being played all over the country. Neighborhood games amongst children, schoolyards, and colleges were playing some form of baseball. Even the big cities started to pick up on the game by the mid-1800s. So that's what it was. It was a child's game called Rounders. Couldn't find out much about Rounders. They came from old England um, and Europe and brought to New England, where they played it in the streets, you know, Boston and stuff like that. Then they started mixing that with cricket, and who knows who actually made the rules? I don't know. In September of 1845, a group of New York City men founded the New York Knickerbocker uh, Baseball Club. One of them, volunteer firefighter and bank clerk Alexander Joy Cartwright, would codify a new set of rules that would form the basis for modern baseball, calling for a diamond-shaped infield, foul lines, and three-strike rule. He also abolished the dangerous practice of tagging runners by throwing balls at them, which could, <laughs> I mean, people have died being hit by a baseball pitch. They're so fast, they're like 100 miles per hour. So <laughs> it's probably good they, they got rid of that. Cartwright's uh, changes made the burgeoning pastime fast paced and more challenging while clearly differentiating it from older games like cricket. In 1846, the Knickerbockers played the first official game of baseball against a team of cricket players beginning a new uniquely American tradition. So 1846, the first game is played. It started way back in the 1700s. So there you have it. Now, each one of these sports, I want to pick off a different topic that I find interesting. It's not necessarily the origin of the game itself, but sort of something else that sort of shaped and changed our human culture. Known as Yaku, Japan and baseball. yaku in Japanese, which translates roughly to fieldball, baseball arrived in Japan's shores during the Meiji era, a period when the country was adopting more Western customs and practices. Horace Wilson is an American English teacher at the Kaisei Academy in Tokyo, first introduced baseball to Japan in 1872, and other American teachers and missionaries popularized the game throughout Japan in the 1870s and 1880s. Baseball was the first sport played in Japan that had a focus on cooperative team play, unlike native sports such as sumo wrestling and kendo. Although this the game didn't see immediate success, university teams sprung up across the country and birthed a number of rivalries that are going strong today. So I thought that was interesting. Japan didn't have many team sports at all. They had uh, individual sports. And then when GIs and missionaries brought the game over hundreds of years ago, Japan was like, let's do it. Then um, the people who latched onto it the most were the collegiate level, the colleges. So baseball really began to, to gain popularity though in Japan during the post World War II period, thanks to the American GIs who promoted the sport heavily, and the Japanese corporations that backed the teams as sponsors, and still do to this day. A series of exhibition. Games played with American baseball legends like Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, and Joe DiMaggio also helped popularize the sport. But perhaps the biggest draw of baseball was the discipline, hard work, and team effort that characterize the game, and which greatly appealed to the Japanese work ethic. So we've talked—I've talked about that before in the podcast. Japan, the Japanese culture—they have this. I, I want to say weird; it's foreign to me and foreign to my culture, but it's also cool. I, I reveal—I I think it's cool. Their work ethic and how they view their family and, and and all that, it's just sort of the game sort of fits perfectly into their culture. Um, baseball. Next up, we have basketball. And I do have, like I said, series of pictures here going from the very first images that they could find of it going up to modern day times of the sports. Well, basketball is... You want to think of it as... You may have heard the story of how it started in the YMCA and, you know, in the 1800s. Well, yes and no. I like to talk about another game that sort of resembles basketball from the Americas. Before I talk about the origin story of modern basketball, I wanted to talk about an ancient game played in on the North American continent for thousands of years, estimated as far back as 3,000 years ago. The game is forgive my pronunciation, Tlactoli. Tlactoli. Tlachtli. Tlachtli. T-L-A-C-H-T-L-I, Tlachtli. It was played by the Aztecs and thought to have been played by the ancient and vanished culture of the Olmecs. We don't know much about the Olmecs. We know they had really cool sculptures of giant heads out of stone um, and that they influenced a lot of, like the Aztecs, Mayans, stuff like that. Uh, but we don't know much else about him. Not much else survives. We think this game of Talactaly was played by the Olmecs originally. Let's jump to Tenochtitlan, the capital of the Aztec Empire, later known as Mexico City. In the year 1500 or so, Uh, or 7-actal on the Aztec calendar, to watch this ancient game roughly resembling basketball. Roughly. The talactali is kind of like basketball. Games similar to basketball have been played all over Mesoamerica by peoples like the Aztecs, the Maya, and the Olmecs. The object of talactali is to put a ball through a hoop made of stone. (laughs) So the rim is made of stone at one end of the court. But unlike basketball, the players can't use their hands. So if they kick it in, Headbutted in. Taloctoly ball is made of natural rubber, roughly the size of a bowling ball, and weighs about five pounds. It's heavy. Getting it through the hoop without using the hands is so hard that the first team to score a goal wins. So, not exactly like basketball, um, especially because the hoop isn't horizontal, it's vertical. So, it's like you have to, you don't, you can't slam dunk a taloctoly hoop, stone hoop. You have to hit it through sideways. Also unlike basketball where the losing team gets nothing worse than trash talk from the winners the losers in this game of tlachtli are going to have their heads chopped off after the game. So that's a fun little ritual. <laughs> the players are the players of this game were prisoners of war and the enemies of the aztecs uh who are hosting the game. The game is a ritual honoring uh a ritual honoring a mapan and Uwapadzin, the uh, patron deities of the game of telocle and honoring oh boy who <laughs> the aztec god of war so <laughs> that's the and i thought that was cool so they have specific gods for this game and they also honor the god of war and that people have always thought of that sports are kind of like combat obviously there's not death and stuff um usually but it's the, it's the feel of competition. There has always been a connection between the competitive nature of sports and combat. When Doctor, so that's the ancient sports of Talachtli. Now let's talk about the origins of modern day basketball. I just think it's cool that the Americas have had an older version of basketball, very different from basketball. I know, but I, I remember learning about this in uh, junior high, Talachtli in the Aztecs, and I thought it was so cool. Wanted to throw it in there, and my I remember my um, history teacher did draw a connection between that game and basketball said it was very different. But yeah, you can see the similarity with the hoop when Dr. James Naismith was just a grad student in Springfield college in the winter of 1891 and 1892, he invented modern basketball. That's the short end of it. The students there, specifically the men, um, because you know, back then only dudes were allowed to do sports were stuck inside during the cold Massachusetts winter months. They had a lot of pent up energy that couldn't expel That they couldn't expel on the football field because you know it's winter they were required to spend time in the school's gymnasium doing things like quote marching calisthenics and apparatus work (laughs) sounds like tons of fun huh no it doesn't it sounds like mindless repetitive exercise and nothing compared to the thrilling and competitive nature of sports and i like the word (laughs) when you had mandatory gym class in Springfield, <laughs> Massachusetts, in the late 1800s, you had to do things like marching calisthenics and apparatus work. <laughs> so so there, was a, there was definitely a need to do something actually fun in gym class. Along comes James Naismith, a um, second-year grad student in charge of this winter gym class. He was working under Luther Halsey Gulick, the superintendent of physical education at the time. Gulick introduced a new course in uh, the psychology of play. And in class discussions, Gulick had stressed the need for a new indoor game, one that, quote, that would be interesting, interesting, easy to learn, easy to play in the winter and by artificial light. So those were his requirements. Two instructors had already tried to, and failed to devise activities that would interest the young men. So Naismith was like, hmm, he's there. Gulick says, Naismith, I want you to take the class and see what you can do with it. No idea if that was his accent. Just going to put that on there. Much time and thought went into the new uh, his this new creation. It became an adaptation of many games of its time, including American rugby, the idea of passing, English rugby, the uh, jump ball, lacrosse, use of a goal, soccer, the shape and size of the ball, and something called Duck on a Rock, a game Naismith had played with his childhood friends in Benny's Corners, Ontario. Duck on a Rock used a ball and a goal that could not be rushed. The goal could not be slammed through thus necessitating a goal with a horizontal opening high enough so that the ball would have to be tossed into it rather than being thrown so i thought it was interesting that our first two sports i'm going over here one of the main inspirations was a child's game because that kids understand it it's like an innate we we learn it so early this competitive nature pools and they I don't know. I thought that was cool. Naismith got the janitor to give him some 18-inch hoops, and he nailed him to a couple of boards, and that was football. That was basketball. Naismith got his gym class to play the game, and it was an instant hit. Word of the new game spread like wildfire. It was an instant success. A few weeks after the game was invented, students introduced the game to their own YMCAs. The rules were printed in a college magazine, which was mailed to YMCAs around the country because of college's well-represented international student body. The game of basketball was introduced to many foreign nations in a relatively short period of time. High schools, colleges uh, began to introduce the new game. And by 1905, basketball was officially recognized as a permanent winter sport. So from the time of its conception, 1891 to 1905, it becomes an official sport. That, to me, seems like a really fast turnaround, considering a lot of other sports go thousands of years. And, you know, well, but they go a really long time and bef- without ever being officially recognized. There is some debate about whether basketball was invented in Springfield College or the YMCA. Since my main source was Springfield College itself, I decided not to take sides. I'll let you look into it. My last sport of this episode is hockey. Now, hockey I heard is been around for a very long time. That's the sort of tidbit stories I've heard. Um, there's a couple movies that reference the fact that it's, Like the Native Americans have been doing it up in the North America, up in the Arctic Circle for so long. And I have some ancient depictions here. There are stone carvings of people doing this. Uh, Tomb number 17 of Prince Keti, 2000 BC at Neni Haman, El-Menea, Egypt. Two dudes with sticks in their hands. They're curved at the end, hitting a ball or a puck on the ground. That looks like hockey, okay? They also have some um, paintings of Native Americans doing it way back in the day. looks like they're barefoot, which is nuts, on ice. (laughs) We also have some colonizers, pilgrims playing it. And then I have some old images, like the Broad Street Bullies of Philadelphia uh, back in the 60s. And uh, uh, I almost said Bing Crosby. (laughs) I'm now blanking on his name. Crosby from the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins. Hockey is a team sport which two teams play against each other by controlling a ball or a puck, trying to get it into the opponent's goal. All players use hockey sticks during the game. It is impossible to claim the exact time of the birth of hockey. We will probably never know for sure, but there are records of people participating in this game, of uh, this kind of game, about 4,000 years ago. Since ball-stick games are as old as our civilization, the earliest origins may be from China, Persia, or Egypt. Archaeologists discover that an early form of the ball-and-stick game was played in Greece um, the 5th century B.C. At the time when Europeans sailed across the Atlantic and started settling North America, they discovered that Native Indian people had their games which were uh, precursors of lacrosse. Further, some... Uh, some Museums today showcase evidence that hockey was played by Aztecs centuries before Columbus had discovered the New World. Buried deep in Egypt's Nile Valley lies the village of Beni Hassan, known for its ancient cliffs tombs dating from 2000 BC. A drawing decorates one tomb showing, this is what I mentioned earlier, two men holding sticks with curved ends and standing over a ball. Definitely looks like hockey when you look at it add synthetic turf and, and shin guards and it might pass for hockey at the sydney 2000 olympic games one of the world's oldest known sports um, hockey predates, predates the ancient games of olympia by perhaps 1200 years or more indeed historians believe it existed in many of the world's early civilizations the arabs greeks romans persians and ethiopians all played variations of the game several centuries before christopher columbus found his new world the aztec indians were playing it in central america the araquano indians of the origin are of argentina Ar- argentina invented a game similar to hockey called the uh, chueca c-h-e-u-c-a believing it would make them better warriors so you do find a lot of connections between sports and 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 war and combat as i said earlier this is one at least this culture believe that hockey made them better warriors and i could see that it definitely could the modern game was formed formed in the middle of the 19th century by british soldiers stationed in canada during the next 30 years many leagues and amateur clubs Were organized in Canada. By the beginning of the 20th century, ice hockey spread to England and the rest of the European countries. Today, the sport is highly popular in Eastern Europe and North America. It should be noted that some sources claim the modern game was created in the British Isles. I say, with that amount of history, four thousand years, so many different cultures coming up with their own versions. I, the modern game was created where it was created, and I'm like, again, I'm not taking sides. British Isles, Canada, whatever. J.G. One of the stories is J.G. Craigton uh, was the Canadian from Halifax, Nova Scotia, who created the first sets of rules of ice hockey around 140 years ago. Upon arriving in Montreal, he presented hockey sticks and skates, which were uh, patented by Nova Scotia Company in 1866. Men's hockey first appeared in the 1908 Olympic Games in London. Ice hockey is Canada's national winter sport. The country undoubtedly contributed to this sport more than any other. So we could say uh, that this, that say this there um, tendency to regard ice hockey as their national sport is entirely justified. And most of the world (laughs) thinks of Canada as the hockey country. So, yeah. Canada, we're going to give it to you. Now, like I said, I wanted to highlight certain um, interesting tidbits of each sport. I did the, um, baseball in japan i did the basketball and the talactali game (laughs) and now for hockey i wanted to do whatever i mean i'd say the vast majority of people's favorite thing about hockey or one of their favorite things to watch in hockey fighting in hockey rodney dangerfield once famously joked i went to a i went to a fight the other night and a hockey game broke out whoa but (laughs) and that's that was the timing there were certain times in, in hockey where fighting was nuts Fighting is an established tradition in North America, ice hockey, with a long history that involves many levels of amateur and professional play, and includes some notable individual fights. Fights may be fought by enforcers, or goons as they're called, uh, players who, whose role is to fight and intimidate on a given team, and is governed by a system of unwritten rules that players, coaches, officials, and the media refer to as, quote, the code. Some fights are spontaneous, while others are premeditated by participants. While officials tolerate fighting during hockey games, they impose a variety of penalties on players who engage in fights. Fighting has been a part of ice hockey since the sport's rise in popularity in the 19th century Canada. There are a number of theories behind the integration of fighting into the game. The most common is that the relative lack of rules in the early history of hockey encouraged physical intimidation and control. Other theories include the poverty and high crime rates of local Canada in the 19th century. So there you have it, fighting in hockey. Now there are some statistics I want to throw at you. Bear with me here. In the 2016-17 National Hockey League season, there were 372 fights out of 1,230 games. That's an average of 0.3 fights per game. Doesn't sound like a whole lot. Fighting in hockey has been banned nearly everywhere outside the NHL, including youth games, college games, and Winter Olympics. Fighting has been part of the NHL hockey since the league's formation in 1917 and its 1922 rule about what was then called fisticuffs, that old-timey word for uh, fighting. The current NHL rulebook addresses fighting in Rule 46, which defines a fight as at least one player punching or taking a swing at another player repeatedly or players wrestling in a way that is difficult to break up. Players who fight are sent to the penalty box during the game and may be subject to additional fines or suspensions. In the early 1960s, there was a fight in about 20% of NHL games. The percentage increased to 100% by the 1980s uh, when there was an average of one fight per game. And that was Some people view it as a fun time in hockey to watch hockey. Some people view it as a dark time in hockey because that's a lot a fight. Every single game. That's a lot. In 1992, the NHL introduced an instigator rule, adding an extra two minutes in the penalty box for anyone caught starting a fight. Fighting has since decreased. The fight uh, broke out in 29 to 40% of NHL games from the 2000 to 2001 season from 2013 to 2014 season and games with fights have steadily decreased since from 27% of games in 2014 and 15 season to 17% in 2018 and 2019. So it is going down and there are pros and cons to it. Pros are allowing fighting makes the sport safer overall by holding players accountable. Sounds crazy. How's it make it safer? Well, if you, (laughs) I'm a big proponent of if you don't let people do it, they're just going to do it anyway, but they're going to do it in a much less safe way. And, and that I love that that's a pro. Allowing fighting makes the sport safer. I agree. Fighting draws fans and increases the game's entertainment value. And fighting is a hockey tradition that exists in the official rules and as an unwritten code among players. The cons, though? Well, fighting in hockey leads to concussions, mental health problems, and death. Yes, people have died. Fighting at the professional level sets a bad example for kids, and fighting in hockey glorifies violence. All those things are also true. However, don't get rid of it. Hockey fighting are awesome, is awesome. I've been to a couple Hershey Bears games, I've been to a couple Pens games. Um, the Hershey Bears games, I once saw a bench clearer. The entire team's fighting each other. The goalies met in the middle. It was nuts. I loved it. So, yeah. I love sports. That's my first episode on sports history. I didn't even cover my favorite sport of American football. So I'm fairly certain that there will be more episodes like this one. I mainly didn't do more sports on this episode to keep the length of the episode down. And because I accidentally lost a lot of notes. <laughs> I had a whole bunch written about a whole bunch of other sports and I lost them. They're gone. I have to rewrite them. Uh, but anyway, thanks for listening. Who to thunkers until next week. Oh,